Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast exploring the intersection of faith and culture. I'm Elizabeth Woodson, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Taryn Mays and Adam Hawkins. And today we have special guest Jen Wilkin on the show. We're going to continue our conversation about the future of the church and discuss women in ministry. The point of this whole series is to discuss, man, what is it like for the church to move forward? There's all these things that are up in the air. People are asking a lot of questions. And how are we faithful about loving our people well? And today we're going to talk about that specifically in the topic of women and the church. Before we jump into today's conversation, we first want to introduce our guest, Jen Wilkin, my friend, my colleague, my mentor. Some of the saints might know who you are, Jen, but for those who do not, <laughs> tell us a little about yourself and why this topic you're passionate about specifically. Well, I have been a woman in some form of outward-facing public ministry for a little over 21 years. So yes, this is relevant content for me. And I love having the discussion with people that I know and love. So um, happy to be on today. I am a Bible teacher and an author, live in the Dallas area. My husband, Jeff, and I have been married for almost 29 years. And we have a gaggle of children who are grown, but who keep showing back up on the doorstep for various reasons. And we're not sad about it. So that's where we are. Amazing. And I just want to say very quickly that, um, Jen, I appreciate your voice so much on this topic. And I know most people know this, but for those who don't, um, this isn't, I wouldn't say that this topic needs to be the first thing people think about when they think about you. You are a gifted, gifted Bible teacher. Uh, and I've learned so much about the Bible from you um, and a million other topics like raising kids and all the other things you do. So I just want to say uh, I appreciate your voice on this, but um, you offer so much more, and I'm so thankful for you. Thanks, Adam. And, you know, I know that uh, Taryn and um, Elizabeth would feel this as well. It's like, sure, it matters. It matters to us experientially. It's something we've lived through or with. Um, but you're right. I don't, you know, I, I always am hesitant to even talk about it because it's a, it's like a, a lightning rod thing. People want to hear all the juicy details on, and I care about Bible literacy. Like right. if I get remembered for something, I, I really want it to be that. And, 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 uh, and so this can be as much as it's something that is of personal significance, um, to, to me, um, that, you know, I just want you to know the Bible. So, uh, yeah. but I am always grateful to have this dialogue with friends for sure. Yeah. So we are in the uh, series Future of the Church, and the very first conversation we had was about denominations, and we got to have that with Kyle, who's on a podcast with Jen. What's the name of your podcast? Yes, Jen? it's called Knowing Faith. Oh my goodness! Oh. Knowing Faith, as we've said a million times, is a much better podcast than this one. So please. <laughs> Check it out. Not true. Um, but Kyle and I had a super interesting conversation. I loved it. Um, but I want to get your take, Jen. So just kind of thinking about institutions, thinking about all the challenges facing the institutions of the church. We belong to SBC churches. Um, what have, what What's your thoughts on kind of what's been going down, the controversies that's been happening there? Well, gosh, as it relates to this conversation right. in particular, the... Um, so it was it was so weird to watch everything play out with the last uh, convention because this top of mind item that everybody was so nervous about was that there was this uh, body of of ambitious women who wanted to storm the pulpits of SBC churches, and uh, I'm like I mean it's just it's almost I would laugh at it if it didn't cause so many so many problems because like what I just want to say is like guys if we wanted to be pastors like we would be, you know, we would, th those, the women who want to do that have gone to, gone to mainline denominations that have welcomed them into those places. Right. But this is the problem is if, if that's the issue, if it's women storming the pulpit, then, then you can stir up all this fear, you know, about why women want to raise their voices at all. But if you cry fake news on that, if you actually acknowledge hey, there are good faith actors, women who are good faith actors who are capable of leading and serving in our churches, 
Well, then you got to deal with that. Like those women, you know, because the Lord does not give gifts that are not essential and indispensable. He doesn't. And and too often the gifting of women has been seen as nice, but not necessary. Right. Right. But if we're critical to the mission, then that really changes the way that we need to be interacting with and utilizing the gifts of the women that are among us. So uh, I I just, but it blows my mind. Um, that, that we would think that there were all of these women in more conservative theological environments who actually are bad faith actors, because frankly, we should be saying, oh, wouldn't they go where the barriers are lower to them actually acting on these things that we think are bad faith issues? And, and, and so then if they are still here, what are we going to, what are we going to do? Because they they must be voicing, vocalizing issues uh, of importance um, to, to the institution. So Mm. I don't know what will happen with the SBC. Um, but I think it's instructive to see how that card gets played, um, in a way that, um, I would argue actually shuts down the more important dialogue. That is the real dialogue that needs to be had around how we treat women and how we see women functioning as mothers in the church. That's great. Yeah. I don't know what happens to the future of the SBC, but I'm pretty confident that, uh, if there is going to be a future, women will probably also be there. So it might be yeah. a good idea to listen to them. So. That's a great observation, Adam. Thank you. Great observation. All right, friends. The goal of this conversation is to talk about the future of the church, like we said before, as it relates to women in ministry. And so we're going to talk about some of the challenges, but also the opportunities. We want to cast a vision for what is possible and how God can allow the church to be a space that values ministry to women, but also the ministry that women can provide to the greater church. And so we're not going to spend our time sitting in the deep waters of complementarianism or egalitarianism. We hope that this conversation will benefit the church as a whole and how we create a space for women to flourish and thrive. And so let's start with the challenges. Um, What cultural moments or events from the past few years have highlighted the challenges women face in the church? Immediately, I think about Me Too or Church Too, Mm -hmm. but all of us serving the context of the local church. So this isn't just some ethereal idea. These are the people that we work with and serve. So what have you guys seen happen that have highlighted some of the realities for women? Well, you know, Me Too and Church Too actually became a thing after um, my local church had had to do really hard work around the issue of how women were being received and treated. Um, You know, we had a very public um, thing in 2015 where a, 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 a woman in a difficult marriage uh, that's an understatement. You know, her, her, her situation was, was not handled in, in a way that we wanted it to be handled in. And it brought to light um, for leadership, a lot of the patterns that were in place um, specifically in our context, right? So in this like young, restless, reformed complementarian space, and um, it really broke the hearts of those who were in leadership, but this was before me too, and church too had come out. And so I had a front row seat for all of that and um, and the patterns, of course, that were emerging about women not being heard or not being able to tell the truth of what was happening in their in their marriages. Um, those were not new you know, to, to me and I would imagine to other women who were in leadership. We were hearing those stories, but there weren't necessarily ways to dignify those stories and make sure that they received the care that they needed. So, you know, by the time Me Too and Church Too came along, it was like, okay, this is really something that is pervasive. And, and so that mattered to me because I think that in the more conservative theological places, the impulse was to say, was to, was to guard theology and say, oh, our theology isn't, isn't causing this, you know, so don't, don't worry about our theology. And, um, and I think what Me Too and Church Too said was an abuser can hide in any theological construct. So whether you're an egalitarian or a complementarian, the question is not, do you have the theology that prevents abuse happening? It was how do abusers chameleon themselves into your space so that they can operate because abusers are everywhere. So that was a big, that was a big thing that sort of um, came together in my own thinking, having lived through what the village went through and then seeing, um, seeing it play out in the broader culture. What about you guys? Yeah, you know, I uh, I was I was alongside. I was really well, yeah. Jen, we were working alongside one another. Uh, yeah, of, that was about the time that I'd come on staff for our church, and uh, 
we began to, I came from a background of uh, ministering to women who are coming out of sex trafficking and sexual exploitation. So I uh, had an understanding for what uh, domestic violence and abuse could lead to, as well as just the exploitation of, of individuals. But uh, I thought, I think it was particularly interesting in stepping into the church in that time and then watching the Church Too and Me Too movements occur. And uh, what I also found alongside uh, the, uh, the role of the perpetrator in the church was the lack of uh, representation of women in leadership uh, mm-hmm. served to silence the victim in a really unique way. Uh, because, right, statistically, it's women that are abused either within the church or within their homes more often than not. But also, statistically, they're more likely to report to other women. Um, and mm-hmm. that was really where, uh, as, as I began to look at the landscape of our local church and just the church in general, really began to see there's there's no there's no one that a woman could go to. There's no yeah. trusted yeah. representative for her to be able to identify. And not only not only that, but also someone who is skilled and trained in that. It's, it's one thing to be it's one thing to be a woman in those places. It's another thing entirely to have an entire staff, your lay leaders trained in a way to be able to receive those stories uh, in order to not revictimize. Um, so I, I, I think those are I, that was certainly a, a challenge that I saw, I saw for women uh, in the church, uh, particularly as it related to women in ministry. Well, and there was there was an appearance of having advocates for women, you know, oftentimes, right. but the, the the female advocates so rarely was a stakeholder in the conversations that were being had, an equal stakeholder in the conversations that were right. being had about how to help. Um, the woman in question, she, you know, it was her, there was just a big differential between um, what she, she had a, the, the, the power to control and what the rest of the people in the room did. You know, I think uh, being an observer to some of the things that you, Taryn and Jen um, have discussed and just even my own personal ministry experience, just seeing the difficulty of bringing these issues to leadership. And so to, to see the need for women in certain places, to see the need for women advocacy, to just see the need of, hey, it's beneficial when there's a woman in the room and that not always translating as easily to leadership, which is just like as a as an African-American woman, um, you know, I think sometimes I'm, I'm used to the race issue not translating easy, but then to come mm-hmm. behind and see the gender issue, it's just like, well, this is really important. Why is it difficult for me to be able to explain why this is really important? And maybe I'm hitting up against some, some realities that are present within the church that I'm not aware of. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that has been interesting to me to unravel some things to see, okay, how can I advocate for women better and understand the waters that I'm playing in? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember it being shocking that I, so I had come from an organization that was all women. There were only women on our staff. And in fact, you couldn't, uh, men weren't actually allowed to be in the waiting room because of how difficult it was for survivors to step in the door. Yeah. And uh, to step into the alternate space and uh, (laughs) occupy those spaces and uh, similarly to try to articulate and translate what it meant to have uh, only a woman or predominantly women in those spaces with victims, uh, I I also just found it difficult. Yeah. Well, I do think it's important to note that there are no... I don't have any villains in my story. I would imagine you guys would probably say the same thing that if we were missing this, it wasn't because bad people set out to harm people. Um, it's, it's certainly an omission, you know, it's just, it's something that was outside of, frankly, outside of the lived experience Mm -hmm. uh, of the men who were responsible for those spaces. Um, I think there is an inherent vulnerability to being female that we hold on to into adulthood that men just outgrow, like even in their physicality. Uh, and and it means that, in, in my opinion, it means that women uh, retain a top of mind awareness about how other women are going to function. Uh, I'd say women and children are going to function um, when they are uh, hard pressed, uh, and that there's a there's a more immediate uh, ability to identify and and run toward that, perhaps among female populations than there might be rooms that are all male. Um, and what we found um, was that what had happened over time was that our our church had moved more toward processes and away from relationships in, in thinking about the way that we dealt with 
the crisis moments. It was like, well, we've got a process in place and we're going to work it. And the people in the process were not always seen as clearly as they could be. And inviting women into the rooms where those conversations were happening uh, and even inviting women into the way that the processes were designed made a huge impact um, in how we dealt with them. But one of the things that we had to come to terms with was the fact that even though there are no villains in our story, we were harming women um, because we we didn't have the right um, process or the right people in the right seats to make sure that people were receiving the care that they needed. So even though people don't set out to harm, real harm still does occur. And it, it was a hard season of having to recognize that even though we were well-intentioned, we still had had done harm and, and we did not want to, you know, and then praise God, there was repentance and a turn and a rebuilding that have been just beautiful to see. And sometimes I can't believe we actually were able to do it, you know? One thing that I think is really important to point out that for all of you talking is that this was personal experience or it was trying thinking about how uh, how to solve the problems of your local church. I think as this conversation has um, been forced into the public a little bit more, force might be the wrong word. But as this as this be, has become a more public conversation, one thing that I've found, and I don't know, you know, we're at Jen. You're in a little bit different position, and and you too, Elizabeth. But as we're at Citizens, um, we don't really have like a big public platform or anything like that. And one thing that has been a little bit difficult is sometimes people coming in and they're wanting to have the very public conversation in the context of the private. So one example is like people coming in and being really stirred up about like the Mars Hill podcast or something like that. Mm -hmm. And this feeling of helplessness as people come in and they're so upset and they're, what are we going to do? And there's almost this sense of like, um, I, yeah, I agree, you know, and it's there, there is something happening now as this has become really public where trying to tease out what part of this is a public conversation and what part of this needs to be fixed on larger scales when you're in the context of a local church can feel very confusing. And I just want to bring that up to say, you guys didn't start out having this conversation because of some public controversy. You started out having this conversation because there were real lives who were impacted and there were real problems that were happening as it relates to just your the local ministry you were doing, um, and I think some again, I just I'm not trying to belabor the point, but I think sometimes now that can be a little harder to navigate sometimes as people come in and this conversations become really public. Well, I think you're right, and I think that the powerlessness that we feel is because we take in the grand scale of things. Um, but none of us is powerless on this. The right. local church is where ministry happens. Right. And if you are able to speak into this in your local church, we need people to, to not see that as a small thing. And that's actually on any issue, right? Not just this issue. Um, if you can impact Christian education in your local church, that's a huge thing, not a small thing. Right. Um, you know, part of what the Mars Hill podcast is is um, startling people into is the recognitions of what platform can and can't do. Yeah. And honestly, what platform should and shouldn't do. And what it's, what I hope it's doing is um, breathing life into local church participation to say, gosh, you know, you can wreak major havoc on a large scale if you have a platform and you may also be able to affect a large scale good. Um, but the contributions of people in the local church are, are what are going to have sticking power in, in your congregation. And that's what you're answerable for. That's what we're all answerable for is, is, is that local church involvement. Um, and I was so grateful that when my own church started to work through this, they, even though they are a church with a platform, they were so committed to doing uh, what was right for their congregation. And, and we knew, you know, that we would draw scrutiny if we, if we went one direction or the other and our elders and our uh, leadership team were just committed, they were like, no, we stand before the Lord and give an account for this church. And we're going to do what we, what we can for this church um, no, no matter what. And um, it, it took courage and it was a hard, long process. Taryn, you were around for <laughs> all of that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so if I would just, and, and I've had, I think the small conversations are the ones that help so much with this. Um, it's a conversation that two people have, have about this quietly versus, you know, we can have this conversation today and hopefully it's a conversation starter for those, 
but it's conversations that happen in small rooms where you can be vulnerable and say, you know, but I didn't mean to hurt anybody or I didn't, you know, it's like, yeah, that's, I get it, you know, but let's talk about how we can, we can become a church that um, as a whole is a, is a place where people receive help because um, nobody wants to hurt people. Um, but we're not always aware of how that might be playing out. So yeah, the small conversations matter so, so much because it's where people can let their guard down. That's great. When I think about the small conversations or just even centralizing this conversation and the impact that everyone can have to their local church, I think about one of the roots of uh, just the dynamic of women in ministry, and that's the theology of the family of God Mm. and really what it looks like for us to live as brothers and sisters. And so any of y'all, kind of what... Do you think a healthy place looks like with that and maybe some areas of unhealth that are fueling or have fueled the difficulties women and men face? Because I do also want to say that these dynamics of women in ministry just don't harm women, um, that men are involved in that as well, maybe in not ways that they're aware of. Um, but just how can, how have we not loved each other well as a family of God? And kind of what vision should we have around what it means for us to be brothers and sisters in the church? Well, I think that the oxygen in this conversation all heads toward the abuse issue and that takes center stage, but the abuse issue is a symptom of a, an existing problem. And that is that we have not regarded each other as a family. Uh, we have, we have regarded each other as, you know, the men are over here and the women are over here because if the men and the women are in the same place, then, you know, bad things are going to happen guys. Uh, uh, they might bump into each other or, you know, whatever. And, and, um, and so, because, you know, so we're in a hypersexualized culture, right. And what is shocking to me is that the, the, the hypersexualized cultural view has made its way into the church. Like we actually think that the line from when Harry met Sally is good biblical advice Mm -hmm. that men and women can't be friends because the sex just gets in the way that is Mm -hmm. anti-biblical. The Bible paints a picture of, of brothers and sisters who partner together um, to rule and subdue and be fruitful and multiply Um, in spiritual terms. We find that in the great commission, right? Um, But that, that we were actually intended to stand shoulder to shoulder to, to move forward the mission of God. And, um, and that when we see each other um, only as potential sex partners, this whole thing um, devolves and, and, and that's objectification, right? And that's what happens when, um, when you have an overemphasis on difference, um, and an underemphasis on sameness, you know, in our humanity, we share more than we do in our, our genderedness. And, and that's a, that's a conversation that which what's fascinating in, in the current cultural moment is, oh gosh, if you talk about sameness, you know, that's going to derail us into all of the stuff that's going on in the culture. But actually, if you don't start there, then you end up with hypersexualization, in my opinion. That's so good. Well, I, I love that. And I, I think you're, you're hitting on when that divide, or as we've seen that divide play itself out, I, I think the thing that I've continued to come back to is, uh, Jen, just what you're pointing out, it's a lack of Christian friendship. We don't know how to be friends mm-hmm. with, with our, with, yeah. if I, as a woman, I don't know how to be a friend with a brother in Christ. I've, I've learned by the grace of God and in these smaller relationships, I've been such a great example of that in my life. But uh, I think it, as I've seen the divide, as I've had these conversations, what tends to play itself out is that fear is a greater motivator than love. Mm. And so it's mm-hmm. easy for me to look mm-hmm. across and say, well, it's easy to villainize the person that I don't know. And so what it, what you actually find between brothers and sisters is that they're they're villainizing <laughs> and, uh, and uh, yeah, just putting on display uh, what the world would say about that hypersexualized culture rather than being able to look and say, I mean, this is God's good intention. There's this, there's a story that I, I am wrapped up in. I don't belong to the story of the culture. I actually belong to the story of God. And what that means is that I participate in this family and I need my brother in Christ as much as I need my sister in Christ. I need to know them. We need one another in order for the church to be what the church needs to be. But what about you, Elizabeth? Yeah, I mean, 
if you've been on Culture Matters, you've probably heard me talk a lot about the flourishing of humanity um, and mm-hmm. just how that starts for us in Genesis. And so there, as we look through scripture, there are some really key ideas or, or concepts of how we should engage with one another. And it isn't fear. Like Taryn said, it's love yeah. and it's flourishing of humanity and it is serving and it is, man, how can I create a space in which you thrive? It is image bearing um, that everyone has inherent dignity and worth because we're made in the image of God and that I learned something about the God who created all of us by engaging with your story and having you point me back to who he is. Um, and all of those get minimized and lost when we buy into the hypersexualization of culture and then we mistreat people. We see that all throughout scripture when we walk away from God's divine design and how we're supposed to engage with one another image bearers harm other image bearers because Mm -hmm. we are not trusting in the beauty of what God has created, but we're trusting in the words of culture. And that just isn't what God has for us. And I think that's what we've seen is the language that's used the most to describe our relationship as men and women in the church is what's hardest for us to do in the church. And that's just to be brothers and sisters, uh, Mm co-laborers for the things of the Lord. And the power of the witness that we could have, if that was true of us, and it is true. Like, I think some of these are generalizations and there are places um, that my, even in my time at TBC has been hugely redemptive for what it means Mm to um, minister alongside brothers in the faith um, who seek my flourishing and me likewise. And so, Brother and sister, it's just, there's a lot of richness there. And to me, a lot of power to transform um, the harm that happens into the beauty of what God has created for us to be in the first place. I think it's a tangential point because what Elizabeth just said as it relates to flourishing and the need of brother and sister is really important. But Jen, your point, I can't help but think this idea that I can hear the critic say, oh, wait, if you focus on sameness, look at what's happening in the mm-hmm. culture. There is mm-hmm. a sameness is just, uh, you know, kind of being talked about all the time. And we see that with the arguments of gender and other things mm-hmm. happening, right? But mm-hmm. I, I love what you said, which is that uh, Christians actually have an answer to what sameness is supposed to look like, right? Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. you can start there. Difference is important too. You need both same and different, but Christians have the truer and better answer of what sameness is. And I can't help but wonder, uh, at least in the Christian circles, if focusing on difference so much has a sense of uh, this weird alienation that can occur because we all know in our souls that sameness is a really powerful thing as well. And if all you're told all the time is difference, then I can't help but think you may start to find the answers in culture satisfying uh, or from the secular culture satisfying because you know in your heart there's a sameness when you look at your sister, right? But because mm-hmm. we haven't defined the sameness that God has mm-hmm. given us, well, we see it happening out there. So I, th- I just want to say to the... I think it's really important to define that sameness, to know that God has an answer to that, uh, and that by doing that, it's actually an antidote to the secular sameness that's being offered. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, I agree. I agree. And I do think that one of the biggest um, missteps that that we have um, taken in church subculture is that, you know, this whole fear versus love piece that you guys have both brought up, um, is related to if you design the family dynamic to operate around Genesis three versus Genesis one and two, right? And and when I think about what the church should be, well, the, why wouldn't we think that the good news of the gospel would be in the business of restoring us to what we could have been and should have been in Genesis one and two. And when all we're doing is managing potential um, sexual sin or, um, uh, you know, in the case of conservative spaces, some, some perceived usurpation of authority, if that's the way that we view um, what it means to be the family of God, then, um, then we're, we're going to be a super dysfunctional family. Like, and what's fascinating to me is that Christians can acknowledge, oh, you know what the ideal nuclear family is? It's a father and a mother and children, you know? Uh, but, but so many of our churches function as single parent authoritarian homes mm-hmm. with an absent mother and a bunch of children who are expected to just toe the line with whatever rules roll, roll down the chain from dad. And, and we would, if we saw that home in our community, we would see that as a tragedy, not as something that we should be modeling. And so Jesus tells us in the New Testament, 
that his mother and father and brothers and sisters are the ones who do the will of the father, right? That's his, that's the true and better family. And um, so in the local church, we should be committed to modeling a healthy nuclear family um, where our, our relationships are by definition, not sexualized, right? Um, and, and because the culture is saying, uh, you know, now it's to a point where um, friendship is vanishing in the culture at large. If you feel a deep emotion toward anyone, it has a sexual component. Um, and, and so we, we should be saying in the church, no, no, no. Friendship is the bedrock. Brother, sister, friendship is the bedrock and sister, sister friendship, you know, that I can have a deep relationship with Taryn or with Elizabeth and no one needs to turn a side eye to it. Um, and, and so I think increasingly it's becoming important for the church to say, no, Genesis one and two is what it could have been. And, and actually is what it will be again in the new Jerusalem. So let's, let's show the world uh, a taste of that now. It's really fascinating. I love that. I think, you know, it, it, Jen, you're, you're hitting on some of the opportunity that we're able to have uh, it, operating within the church when it comes to women in ministry. And um, I'd love to hear from you guys of what, so what are some other opportunities that we find as we kind of look at, we've seen the challenges and we can turn our face and say, what, how can we flip the script? You know, what, what might that look like? And I, I think, Jen, to your point, uh, biblical friendship is just one of those and I mean, honestly, for, for those who tr- have true, true friendships, beautiful friendships, Christian friendships, there is no way to underestimate that. The way that you are able to bear with one another, love one another, rejoice with one another, practice the one another's among each other. There is a, there is a component of human flourishing, to your point, uh, Elizabeth, that, that begins to take place in those spaces. Um, but what about some other opportunities do you all see? Yeah, I think uh, to kind of piggyback on that biblical friendship is just having spaces in the church. Because again, brother and sister is a great idea, but a lot of people just don't know how. And having Mm -hmm. spaces in the church where we're able just to come together and that's modeled for us about how do we engage in community as brothers and sisters? How do we learn from one another? um, How do we study the word together? And again, just during my time at TVC, I've just been thankful for the spaces in which that's happened. Um, Because as a woman who leads in ministry, my leadership skills have benefited from my brothers. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think about Mm -hmm. the rooms that I've been invited into, just even to sit and to listen and how I wouldn't have gained those skills or had the honesty spoken to me about, Elizabeth, you need to take it a step higher if I wasn't even in community with my brothers. And just Mm -hmm. having spaces where we can learn together, study together, and even having this dynamic of encouraging one another to do better and run faster in what God has for us. I think the mentoring component has been huge. Um, You know, women so often, uh, women with a leadership gift or a teaching gift often have a difficult time finding mentoring in the local church because there's not often a woman who is further down the line than they are that they can be mentored by. And yet the idea that a man in leadership would have a mentoring relationship with a woman who is coming through the pipeline is, uh, I mean, in many people's minds, terrifying and unthinkable, right? That the, 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 all, all they see in that conversation is risk. Um, and I think what we have found in, in practicing this, um, well, I would say in the spaces that I've been in, in the church that I'm in is that we had, we had neglected an entire risk category, um, to, to pay attention to that risk. You know, it was like the liability of that relationship was all we could see. We could not see, um, the liability of that relationship not happening. Um, and, and that once, and, and that the reality is there are actually a lot of ways that a pastor could mentor a woman who's coming up in, in a leadership role that, that no one would look at and go, what the heck's going on there? Uh, but, but we've been so conditioned into thinking, nope, nope, it's all wrong. It's all wrong. You know, run the other way that it's like, you can have a meeting in an office at the church and it can be regularly scheduled where you talk about how to be a better teacher and it's not sketchy. Um, and, and really no one is staring at that thinking it is. Um, and, and so often I have the conversation with, with, with men in ministry and they're like, well, I know how to mentor the, the younger men who are coming along behind me, but I just don't know how to do that with a woman. And I'm like, well, what on earth are you doing in your mentoring times with the men? Like, 
it's okay if you don't talk about, you know, I'm like, seriously, what's happening there? I mean, yeah, no, you can't go on a camp out together or anything like that. You know, there are obviously you do need to pay attention to stuff, but, but a lot of it is, 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 um, is, is actually able to be done without any weirdness. If we just were to back away from the fear piece and go, Oh yeah, this is doable and, and really helpful and meaningful. And I think too, I love that. Uh, and I think too, what it, it begins to do is create future opportunities down the line uh, for women to be sought out for positions of leadership because they're known in their specific giftings within their specific character. Yes. So often, what we find is that in uh, in mentoring relationships, typically male and male and female and female, if you have more men leading in ministry which is common in the church, then when they're sought out to say, you know, we've got this open position on our staff or who we need uh, the role of this deacon to be filled, who's operating in those spaces already that we can place them into. And naturally, who do you think of? But the person that you are mentoring, the person that you know best. And so that's not a wrong thing, but it's just natural. And so again, if you've got predominantly men, mentoring yeah. predominantly men, then you're going to have men in those pla- in, in those spaces. But to have, uh, to, to know about the opportunities that exist within your church, specifically the women in your church that exist and uh, in those mentoring relationships, then you just naturally will be able to point to a sister in Christ and say, well, what about Elizabeth? Or um, what about Jen uh, for this specific position, which I think is just such an opportunity um, that if we really took hold of it, yeah. it could actually uh, catalyze real change in the church. Yeah. Because many of the problems we see is that there aren't women leaders in the right spaces, but then we don't have a pipeline in which we've trained those leaders and they form trusted relationships with the leadership in their church. And so we just go from fear, we operate out of fear and not of, man, I know this person, I've done life with them, they're a part of my church and I trust them, which doesn't develop overnight. Um, And so that we have a long range view of what we want our church to look like and take steps today to get it there. Well, and it would be foolish to put someone in a role of responsibility that you don't know, love, and trust. It would be foolish, yeah. um, but it would also be foolish to not attempt to know, love, and trust half of your congregation. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, you know, I think that the confusion that we have around these relationships is um, we think there is a special category of risk in male-female relationships, but the reality is there is risk in any friendship or relationship. And, and, and what we do is we test a trust boundary at every stage that the relationship is developing. So when I'm getting to know Elizabeth, like Elizabeth and I joke all the time about how she <laughs> asked if I would go get coffee with her. And I was like, everybody gets one coffee. Right. And so what was I do? You know, cause I'm going to go and then I'm going to see, what do you want from me? Like, do you have a realistic expectation or are you, did you just want to have coffee with me? And we went to coffee and she wasn't weird and she was doing hard work in hard places. And so I was like, okay, trust, <laughs> trust barrier passed. Right. And so mm-hmm. then I met with her again. And then trust barrier passed and I met with her again. And now we enjoy really great friendship, mm-hmm. you know, like, and, and, and so much overlap and the things that we love and the experiences that we've had. Um, but if she'd been weird, you know, or manipulative or whatever in that for, I would have, I would have backed away. Mm-hmm. And the same thing is true in any relationship. Like when I met Adam, if Adam had been, had been creepy, I wouldn't have met with him again. But if he wasn't creepy, he was nice. And so we develop, we continue to develop a friendship, right? And trust. Yeah. Uh, and so then when, when there's possibility for me to hand responsibility to someone or resources to someone, I'm going, I am going to give it to the person I know, love and trust. That's wisdom. But it's also profoundly unwise to neglect an entire section of the population because you perceive only one form of risk associated with knowing them. I, I want to say something because I think... Um... It is important to mention, especially to men pastors in the church, and that's just to say, I think right now this can feel particularly precarious because actually of some, it's not just sex anymore that is feels so dangerous. It's also questions now of abuse and power and authority. Mm-hmm. And so I think going under this, you have to... Um, going underneath even this conversation, you have to value the what we're talking about even greater than the rest of the risks because 
what I would say is, just from the perspective of men, is I don't know that, I mean, yes, you have things like Robbie Zacharias and some of these other things, but I don't know that at least the younger generation, I would just say, or a little bit younger generation of pastors is afraid of, um, are as afraid of the, the sex bomb being thrown at them, right? I think the fear is probably more around, Jen, you can say, Ooh, that person was a little bit weird and I'm going to step away. But a guy can't say that woman was a little bit weird. Mm-hmm. There is that feeling now of that's really dangerous. How do I navigate these relationships where the new anathema maybe isn't necessarily sex, but it's power? Like, I don't know how to have these power relationships, et cetera. So I just want to say, I think the risk is still worth it. But I also really want to be honest that because of the backdrop right now, this conversation is even more fraught than it's ever been. Um, maybe the charge against you in the church now that's the the scariest uh, is a question of your integrity around how you use your power and authority. And for everybody, that's women too. Um, mm-hmm. it, at least that's how I just, if I'm speaking personally, at least that's how it feels. And what I would just say is I think you, like anything else, to Jen's point, you have to paint the picture of what's truer and better and be committed to that um, and be willing to to face risks for the gospel like we mm-hmm. do with everything else. But I just wanted to drop that in there to say that is a new newer probably category for some people, and I think we need to be honest about that as well. So That's a good word. I would say that we all know from, from experience that those accusations could really come from either side. Absolutely I, um, true. Yeah. You could have an accusation from a man that you've met alone with. I yes. think we've all, you know, had in the last several years had an opportunity to see those those situations happen. Yeah. And so um I do think that the benefit of of developing um the early stages of of friendships um or you know, trust relationships happens in groups. I mean it does, and that's okay. Uh, you know, or, or it happens in spaces where there it's not just two people around each other. Um, and but then there there does reach a stage in every friendship where the trust level is sufficient to sustain Absolutely. uh one-to-one. I, I think that we have had a lower bar for the one-to-one interactions for 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 same sex relate for same sex friendship than we have for cross sex. And um, and so that's where I think we need to press ourselves a little bit to say what is the source of the fear, but you're, you're right. Accusations can come. Um, I think as a woman who's been in ministry for years, I'm like, man, most of those accusations were rolling toward women for a long, long time. And so I I think what we're seeing now, and this has been discussed far more broadly than we will in this, this podcast, but some of this is surviving the pendulum swings, right? Um, We have to persevere through the pendulum swing, which means that the, the burden of guilt is, is perhaps um, more targeted now on men than it has been historically back to a place where we understand, no, both men and women can abuse power. Both men and women can, can lie about what happened or can make a, you can make a false accusation. That's not where we are culturally right now because pendulum swings happen the way that they do, but we can push toward that, that, that place of parity um, where we acknowledge both the risk and the benefit, um, even though in the near term, you're right, Adam, it is going to be dicey for men in leadership. But it's important to know, too, that the more women you have around you in leadership, actually, the safer you are from those kind of accusations, because there's a shared understanding, right? Like, if it's all mm-hmm. men and that comes, you're a lot more probably susceptible to those kind of accusations than if you have a lot of sisters around you who are able to kind of say, actually... That situation, I think you did a pretty good job, right? Like there's, as you, right, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I think that you guys have seen this in in your church setting and and we're seeing it in ours. It's like the best apologetic for this is just that it's, it's working, you know, I mean, and it's, it's beautiful. And, and people want to say that these kinds of relationships don't exist or can't exist, but we know that's not true. Right. Um, And then, and, and then, you know, statistically how, how many friendships, that would have helped the family of God. Did we set aside for the sake of one relationship that was going to go toxic? Right. 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 Um, and, and that's really kind of where it's like people who want to have affairs, they're going to have affairs. Totally. Um, uh, but let's not negate brother, sisterly um, uh, uh, friendships in the family of God, just for the sake of preventing this one person who is going to do what they're going to do, no matter what controls we put in place. You know, totally. I, I've been in a church where the Billy Graham rule was adhered to 100%. And guess what? 
we still had people who, who did what they wanted. Yeah. Um, so, and I'm, that wasn't me dogging the Billy Graham rule, 100% listeners, but you know, it's just to qualify what it, what it is and isn't capable of accomplishing, um, not making it something more than it is. Um, I kind of want to, um, end us on this note because what we're talking about for most of our listeners, if they're not already in this kind of space is a journey. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not immediately going to happen overnight and all of y'all have been a part of that journey are a part of that journey. And so what expectations would you leave for our listeners about, and this is what the journey might be like. This is what walls you might hit, hit up against, but this is the more beautiful vision that should motivate you to continue walking to the reality of brothers and sisters in the church. Uh, I think a good place to start would be to just assess your existing relationships and ask, have I, have I, you know, avoided or felt like there was a stigma attached to, to actually giving more trust in a relationship that is, uh, is not even vaguely sexual. Like that, you know, that, the, you know, one of the funny things that's, that we've, we've laughed about kind of quietly as women in ministry is the number of times we've wanted to say, hey, you're just not hot. You know, like to the guys who's being super cautious. I don't like, want to have sex I just, with there's you. Really, I do not <laughs> want to have sex with you. Yeah. And uh, I just really, really don't. And and so I do think um, sort of assessing, gosh, who who do I just really like, you know, and maybe I have felt like I'm not allowed to like that person. Uh, as a friend and, and what would be just some, some simple ways I could think about developing uh, or deepening that friendship that no one would look at and say are weird, you know? Um, and, and, and what are the conversations that I must value having with that person? So for me, it's often been just uh, discussions of theology. I just wanted people to talk about theology with, and not, it's not that women can't talk about theology. It's just that there weren't a lot of women to have as conversation partners at the, you know, at the time that I was coming up in leadership and I had, um, I had male colleagues who let me into those conversations and then, uh, we had good sharpening times together. Now, you know, in, in the first time I encountered that there were two guys I was on staff with. And so we laughed because we knew that the three of us could go have lunch together and talk about theology, but the two, but two of us couldn't have. Right. So I think just thinking about like, how are the ways that these conversations can play out safely where we can explore the beauty of brother sisterly interactions, um, and take it, you know, just take it slowly, um, but start somewhere. Yes. Yeah, I would, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think another thing, another expectation, at least that I've come to find it, it come to find it's, it's very challenging. It's a challenging Mm -hmm. thing to engage. Um, and I have done this alongside brothers who are my friends who are Mm -hmm. dear to me and brothers and sisters, and it is still challenging. So I, and I recognize that's, that's been uh, wrought in relationship. Uh, And so that, that's also just part of that. There have been times where I think, you know, Adam and I both probably are like banging our head against the wall (laughs) trying to, how do we figure this out? You know, how, how do we, what is the way forward? What does biblical faithfulness look like for us in the, in the context, at the context of our specific church? You know, I, and I'll say maybe even two things that we've talked about a lot, but uh, that at least I've, I've, tended to find helpful is uh, thinking about the posture of our hearts and thinking about the processes that we have in place. And so the posture of our hearts being, I actually do need you. There is a humility that exists when I look at, when I reach across the table and say, I need you and vice versa for uh, the elders of my church, for uh, the other leaders in my church to say, I I need you and to seek those Mm -hmm. relationships. That posture that exists cannot be overstated because then what it actually does is you begin to see as you're in the relationship, I really need you. I thought I needed you, but I didn't even know how much I needed you until we've we've been in the context of of this relationship. And then uh, I think sometimes the 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 process has to be there in order to uh, maybe even help you recognize that the need exists. Uh, So maybe to help lead you to the posture, that might be a little bit backwards, but let's just call it for what it is, Uh, that there there are good processes in place to be seeking out women in your church. That might be a place to start. You know, if I'm I'm thinking Mm -hmm. of uh, the leader or uh, church layperson that is, that's leading in specific ministries, the elder that's listening to this podcast and they're like, well, what do we do? 
to start by seeking out uh, women in your church who are leading. Where are they? Mm-hmm. Have a conversation with them. What's going on? What are you seeing? What challenges are you facing? What What does your ministry look like? Uh, I want to come in and be a part of that. Will you come in and have this conversation with our elders? Will you come have this conversation with our deacons? Um, and then and then begin to move forward there. Uh, it's that intentional seeking out that then can become secondary nature, right? Second nature to go to that person, but it might require the process first. So I never, I don't want to undermine the fact that you put those things into place. You put the meeting on the calendar. That's a good and right thing. Um, and then I think over time, the relationship can build uh, from there. But it is challenging regardless. Um, but it is, it's the challenge. It's worth that's it. That's a great point, though. It's worth it. Yeah, th- th- that's a really great point, though, because it probably kind of depends on your culture a little bit, because culturally here at Citizens, we're very relational. You know, the leaders here lead very relationally, and there's, there's drawbacks to every leadership style. But probably the heart posture here is way easier than the process, right? Mm -hmm. And you might be a part of a church where actually the process is easier than the heart, like, you know, and there's probably a lot of factors that go into that. Some may be just personality or whatever, age, a million things, right, that could dictate that. But for us, I think the heart posture has been so easy. It's been easy to do the friend part and to do the talking about theology part, at least from my perspective, I would say, um, and leading together part, putting all the formal pieces in place to make sure the opportunities are there. Those have been the more difficult things, right? And so, um, I, I don't know, I think paying attention to both, that's such a good word, Taryn. One thing mm-hmm. I'll just say, I just want to say, from the perspective of if you're a man listening, what can you expect is... Um, I think it's just so important to say this, uh, and because I think um, this is actually harder for women in ministry, um, meaning there's challenges in stepping forward and all those kind of things. What I would just say as a, as a man in ministry is what you can expect is to just be so enriched. That's what you can expect, to have your life be so much richer if you are seeking out uh, female friends who to talk with, um, you know, you don't know what you don't know, it, but friendships aren't, we all know this, like friendships aren't just about utility. Um, it's about the good you see in the other and be going back, you know, going all the way back to the beginning of this, which is that pre-Genesis world. It's like, that's actually what you'll experience is a sense of like, wow, this person's amazing and beautiful and wonderful. And I have a new friend. And isn't that worth it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think just to mm-hmm. say, yes, all the other stuff is really, really important. But what you can expect as a man is if you seek out female friends, you will find mothers and sisters and deep friendships waiting for you. So, yeah. yeah. And I think I will say to the person who is like, man, this sounds all well and great, but it's really hard. Right. Um, mm-hmm. Is that I've just seen people persevere over a really long period of time. And I've seen those people really pray um, because God cares more about mm-hmm. us and our dynamics of brother and sisterhood and that we would live out his divine design and all that fun stuff more than we ever will. And prayer mm-hmm. is powerful and prayer works. And so don't feel like that is something like a consolation prize, but uh, right. what we can faithfully commit ourselves to while God is working in the background and that we honor those that we are in leadership underneath as we pray for them and pray for them to see the more beautiful vision of brothers and sisters together in the church. Thank you, Jen. Thank you for joining us. Oh, this is a room full of my friends. Thank you so much for having me on. Yes. Now, this was a true gift, and we are blessed by your wisdom and your perseverance um, on this issue. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. If you like what you heard, please give us a great review where you listen to the podcast. Also, follow us on Instagram and support our patron page at patron.podbean.com backslash culture matters. Thanks and God bless.